It's great to be here, great to uh, see such a great crowd and uh, to feel the warmth of your worship and praise to the Lord Jesus. I thank God for our history together and I do pray I can be a blessing to you in the word tonight as you press on into this very exciting phase of faith. I've been hearing about the new outreach, the new plant that you're going to be putting in process very soon now and uh, Brian asked if I could come uh, along. I'm more than happy to do that and uh, hope I can be a blessing to you. I'm going to speak to you from the book of Numbers if you want to be turning there. And I felt when uh, Brian asked me to come that this scripture, this character, kind of came strongly to mind straight away. And so I thought, hey, God seems to be saying I'm supposed to say yes. And uh, so it's a joy to be here. I hope I can get to say hi to lots of you uh, at the end of the meeting. And I know I'm looking forward to the next couple of days with the pastors. I hope we'll have a superb time together. I'm looking forward to that very much indeed. So tonight's a bonus for me to uh, uh, be here as well. So let's just uh, read a few verses here. I'm going to just skip over a few uh, passages and read from them. So Numbers and chapter 13, we're going to read, uh, you'll remember the context quite quickly, I think, from verse 17 to verse 20. Then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan. He said to them, go up there into the Negev, then go up into the hill country, see what the land is like, and whether the people who live in it are strong or weak, whether they're few or many. How is the land in which they live? Is it good or bad? How are the cities in which they live? Are they like open camps? or with fortification? How is the land? Is it fat or lean? Are there trees in it or not? Make an effort to get some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time for the first ripe grapes. Verse 27. This is after they return. Thus they told him and said, We went into the land where you sent us. It certainly does flow with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites are living in the hill country. The Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, we should by all means go up and take possession of it, for we will surely overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we're not able to go up against the people. They're too strong for us. So they gave out to the sons of Israel a bad report of the land which they'd spied out, saying the land through which we've gone in spying it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. All the people whom we saw in it are men of great size. There also we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, part of the Nephilim. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so were we in their sight. Then all the congregation lifted up their voices, cried uh, uh, and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the sons of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole congregation said to them, Would that we died in the land of Egypt, 
Or would that we died in the wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives, our little ones will become plunder. Would it be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, let us appoint a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, the land which we pass through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord's pleased with us, he'll bring us into the land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only don't rebel against the Lord. Don't fear the people of the land, for they'll be our prey. Their protection's been removed from them. The Lord is with us. Don't fear them. But all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Then the glory of the Lord appeared in the tent of meeting to all the sons of Israel. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people spurn me? How long will they not believe in me, despite all the signs which I've performed in their midst? I just want to turn quickly to Joshua and chapter 14. Joshua and chapter 14, which is some 40 years later. Caleb's an old guy by now. And uh, Joshua 14, 6, verse 6. Then the sons of Judas drew near to Joshua in Gilgal. And Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, said to him, You know the word which the Lord spoke to Moses, the man of God, concerning you and me in Kadesh Barnea. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. I brought word back to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear. But I followed the Lord my God fully. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land on which your foot has trodden will be an inheritance to you and to your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God fully. Now, behold, the Lord has let me live, just as he spoke these 45 years, from the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, when Israel walked in the wilderness. And now, behold, I'm 85 years old today. I'm still as strong today as I was in the day of Moses that he sent me. As my strength was then, so my strength is now for war, for going out, for coming in. Now then, give me this hill country about which the Lord spoke on that day. For you've heard on that day that Anakim were there with great fortified cities. Perhaps the Lord will be with me and I'll drive them out as the Lord has spoken. Father, thank you for these marvelous words, these tremendous statements of courage and faith and joy. And Father, we, we just present ourselves afresh to you. Lord, as your servants in this 21st century, wanting to obey you, wanting to see you glorified. Lord, we pray, Father, for your word to come to us with encouragement, to fortify our spirit teach us secrets, lead us into all that you would have us to be, Father. And so we thank you for your promise of the Spirit. 
and we acknowledge our total need of him, we ask, Father, let the Holy Spirit come right now. Come, Holy Spirit. Rest upon us. Come, Holy Spirit. Fellowship with us. Fortify us. Lead us into truth. Be our teacher, not just informing our minds, but captivating our hearts, Father, for the battles ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, evidently, Caleb and Joshua stood out alone against the backdrop of a lot of unbelief, a lot of fear, a lot of actual cowardice in the light of what God had already done and what he'd promised. And the tragedy was these, these guys chosen to go and look brought back words that multiplied fear in the ranks of the people. They're on the edge of the land God has promised them. They're going to inherit. That was the wonderful Old Testament word, inherit. You hear it again and again. It comes into our New Testament where we inherit the kingdom of God and of Christ. We're inheritors as well. We're inheriting in his name in gospel activity and the spread of the gospel, the planting of churches, the making of disciples. In the Old Testament, it was a piece of turf in the Middle East. In the New Testament, it's people's hearts and lives and families and society. We are bringing in the presence of God, bringing in the gospel, the good news of Jesus. That's a very similar thing. And we are on the move. We are people on the move. And uh, I do come as a friend. It's very precious to me to hear Brian speak about a fathering relationship. Certainly you are in my heart. I know you're in John and Linda's heart. We care for you. But it's so wonderful to know that God over all is capturing us up into his great plan. Amen? He's got purposes for us. We're not static. I've probably never seen this room so full. And it's great to hear Brian speak about the growth that's taking place amongst us. And now we're on the edge of a new phase. Now we're getting ready to uh, step into new territory, to take fresh steps, and that's a wonderful thing. Wonderful thing to have the courage to do that. It takes courage to break out and move again. It takes courage to look at new territory. I do have the privilege over the years. I was uh, with the church where uh, Andrew Wilson, some of you know Andrew Wilson, uh, I was in that church in its second week in Eastbourne, England, when there were uh, 24 people, and now it's just pushing the thousand. And I was in the church of Hastings when there were 14 people. And Don Smith's great testimony is this. We were 14, then Terry came, and we dropped to 11. And uh, <laughs> I was preaching there a few weeks ago, and they're about 500 now, and they're doing well and making real good progress. And, you know, again and again, we're seeing God's giving us territory, but it always with faith. The battle is a battle of faith, because, yeah, the setbacks... There are giants in the land, there are problems, there are difficulties, and f this is the victory that overcomes, it's our faith. And there's no way around that. There's no kind of church planting techniques, there's no, you know, we can learn things, that's not to say we can't learn things. There are things we need to put into action, I'm just preparing a word myself about uh, the battle with Amalek, and I notice uh, Joshua is told, choose good strong fighters. You think, yeah, it's not just Moses praying, We've got to be wise on the ground as well. We need to know what we're doing. So, yeah, there are things we need to learn. But overall, it is God has made us promises. And that's the territory in which battles are fought. And that's got to be in each of our hearts, dear brothers. It's not like, um, you know, 
Some of us are in faith and the rest are just jogging along. We're looking for brothers and sisters to be full of courage, full of faith, standing shoulder to shoulder as we press forward. And here you get these 12 guys who go and look and 10 of them come back and say, hey, it's not on. And their words made the people's hearts melt. How we speak to one another affects the culture, affects the level of expectation. And these guys just saying, nah, we can't do it, it's impossible. Heads go down, hearts sink, and we're not making the progress. And on this occasion, it's just two guys who come back and say, we're well able to do this. And I want to look just briefly tonight. Did I say briefly? How did that word come out? Uh, tonight, <laughs> it's not a word I often use. Uh, 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 <laughs> so I, I just want us to see, what, it, what was it about Caleb? What made him different to the others? What makes a man, a woman, a person of faith? What, can we see something? I, I look and I think, why did 10 guys say we can't and two guys say we can? What's the deal? I mean, how do you, what is this? What was about, is there anything about them that gives us a clue to how we can press on? How we can all be in faith together as we move into this new phase? What clues can we find as we look at this? And just notice this, God is really furious with them. It says in Numbers 14, 21, God says, as I live, it's fascinating this, as I live, when they say we can't go in, we can't take the land, he says, as I live, all the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Now that's fascinating, he doesn't say, as I live, I will get you into that bit of territory, those few square miles in the Middle East. That would, have been, that would have made sense. Look, go in, take this Canaan. And they didn't. And God says, God says, as I live. I think it was Charles Simpson says, whatever comes next is going to happen. <laughs> when God says, as I live. And he doesn't say Canaan will be filled. He says, all the earth will be filled. Yeah. All the earth will be filled. And, and what struck me when I looked at it, I thought was, this step of crossing Jordan, going into the land, was simply the next step in all the earth being filled with the glory of the Lord. It was Canaan that they were going to take, but God's eye was always on all the nations. As he said to Abraham at the beginning, through you all the families of the earth will be blessed. So yeah, taking this land is just kind of a, it's like a typical thing, it's like a model I'm bringing into but every fresh step we take is the next step to all the earth being filled. Every next step. Every next step. We have an elder from the church I'm in at the moment, Kingston in South London. He's just gone to Turkey two years ago, actually. Two years ago with his wife and four children. And they, they're going public in October. They've gone in faith. And we pray with them. We stand with them because there are setbacks, learning the language and all the difficulties but now they've just, they haven't gone public yet. They're going public in October. I look forward to standing with them when that happens. But they said, we just had two saved. We haven't even started yet. We just baptized two Turkish people from that Muslim background. And we hear all sorts of sad things of Islam and bombs blowing up and people getting killed. And we see the gospel advancing, yeah. territory being taken. Yeah. They've already seen 100 in the first plant. And he said, God gave him a word about 300. Caleb, he just felt God said to him, I mean, Gideon. God said 300. So he's got his first 100. He's believing John will have the second 100. And a young man called Joel stood up at the catalyst meeting and said, I'll lead the third group. 
We're going to see 300. And land is being taken. And everywhere we take land is part of this word, all the earth will be filled. This isn't, beloved, some private deal you're doing. It's not just about Jubilee Church. It's not just Brian's vision. It's God's plan. All the earth will be filled with the knowledge and the glory of the Lord. And so when they didn't take that step, God says, this will most certainly happen. And it says in Numbers 14, my servant Caleb has a different spirit. What does that mean? How come? What is this different spirit? I just want to see some of the characteristics then of the man of faith, because I want to learn to be a man of faith. You want to learn to be a woman of faith, a man of faith. What are some of the characteristics about Caleb? So the first thing I found, which kind of surprised me really, was what comes to the surface is the man's humility. I didn't expect to find that ingredient, but as you read the stories, that does come to the surface. He was a humble man. Other people were saying, Moses, you idiot. How come you let us out here? How come you brought us into the wilderness to die, you fool? And they spoke more and more. Who do you think you are, Moses? And they more and more spoke against Moses. And they were displaying an arrogant heart. They were displaying, in my opinion, whereas Moses was the meekest man in all the earth and doing the will of God. And Caleb wasn't like his contemporaries. He stood out, not just as a man of faith, but he stood out as a man of humility in that he said, he said this, Moses, the servant of the Lord. Others were saying, Moses, the idiot, who do you think you are? I mean, literally, Korah, these other guys are saying, you take authority on yourself, who do you think you are? Caleb had a completely different attitude. Moses, the servant of the Lord. See, beloved, the easier you find it to speak against people, the more you're showing actually you're fairly opinionated. You think you know better. It doesn't look like faith grows very well in that soil. The soil that thinks, no, I know better. Who does he think he is? You don't find that. That is characteristic of a person of faith. What you find is that, that faith grows in the heart of a humble person. You might say, well, this Caleb, he's a pushover. I mean, what's... Doesn't he have a view of his own? I mean, what are we doing? Why are we going out? Why don't we stay here? We've got a building. Why would you move across? Why is, he's going with this, and he's taking some of these people with him. He'll wreck the church. We'll all fall in. You know, you can have that opinion. You can even express it to your friend. I don't say why we're doing this. It's not the best for my children. I think my children really like it here. And I, 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 what's it, do you find it easy to be critical? Do you find it easy to have an opinion? See, that's not always the mark of a man of faith. You might be a man of opinion, but you're not... See, Caleb, you say, well, he's a pushover. He's, he's just a weak man. He hasn't got a mind of his own. Well, doesn't quite look like it, does it? When he's 85, being held back by all the unbelief of a whole generation, he says, let's go and get him. <laughs> I'm as strong now as I was 40 years ago. He's not, he's not a pushover. He's not, oh, he's just a weak guy. He doesn't have an opinion. He's, he's a humble guy who has faith. 
See, beloved, we just need to be very careful sometimes when we, we express our opinion. We say, well, I'm not sure I agree with this. And we don't, we, we, not, we don't care that we're saying that. We don't care we're necessarily unsettling people. It doesn't matter to us. I think. Well, I don't think. This man was different to all the others, and this is one of the things that was different about him. He was a humble man. He respected the man of anointing. Now, David was similar. When David was God's anointed, actually, and Saul was king, and Saul was terribly backslidden. And at one point, David is having to flee from Saul, and he's out there in the wilderness. He's living in a cave, and Saul's pursuing him. He's totally unjust. It's not fair. He's trying to kill David. And David stumbles upon Saul, and Saul's asleep. And David's friends, who are not as godly as David, say, kill him. God's given him to you. I mean, look, there he is asleep. It's God. God's done this. Go and just kill him. And David says, no, I won't touch the Lord's anointed. Now, David knows, actually, he's anointed. He knows, but actually, David's got such a beautiful heart. And beloved, God cares about our heart attitude, our careless words what we think. And he wants, us, he wants us to be worth multiplying. It's not we're just going to another address. It is God's breathed something into us, I pray, that it's worth multiplying. Scott's got to say, I want more of that. I'd like some of that over there. He's multiplying the grace he's built into us. And so if we go with good attitude, we're taking the kingdom of God. We're not just taking a few people. We're taking some people who've learned how to walk in faith, how to walk in harmony, how to walk in humility to one another. See, God doesn't look for isolated. You know, you hear a lot about Mother Teresa. She's a saint, amazing woman. No, the Bible doesn't talk about isolated saints. You won't find it in the Bible, saint whatever. It talks about the saints. And it doesn't talk about humility in the vacuum or one great person. It just says, be humble with one another. Forgive one another. Have mercy with one another. He cultivates something in the community where we are careful with our speech. We're not quick to say, oh, I don't know why we're doing this. That was the atmosphere, and in that atmosphere, you had a Caleb who said, no, this is Moses, the servant of the Lord. And David said, Saul is the Lord's anointed. I'm not going to touch him. And having respect for the leadership God provides is a really biblical concept that we trust them, that they're men of faith, they're men of prayer and they're getting a message from God it's time to move on it's time to make a new step and in our hearts we don't oh I wouldn't have done that, I would have done no no don't have that heart say we love these brothers, we pray for them, we trust them they're hearing from God and Caleb had that attitude. Caleb then des- demonstrated humility. And you'll find that actually humility and faith go together. Remember in the New Testament, the places where Jesus is very impressed with faith. There's some remarkable places. Jesus is, you know, sometimes he's saddened by unbelief. But sometimes he's amazed with faith. And there's a guy who says, I'm not worthy for you to enter my house. Just say the word. You know, my house, 
You're the Lord. I'm not worthy that you should come to my home. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus said, I've never seen such faith. Faith and what? Faith and humility. They go together. I'm not worthy, but I do believe in you. It speaks in the scripture about those who are poor in this world, strong in faith. When we're a bit strong in ourselves, we tend not necessarily to be strong in faith. You find that the woman who came to Jesus, and, and Jesus, is, Jesus is healing people, uh, and he comes to this woman, and she's not a Jew. And he says to her, oh, actually, the food's not for the dogs. That's a test, eh? Yeah, try that one. It's not for the dogs. You think, the dogs? How dare you? I'm out of here. You know, how dare you speak to me like that? And she answers and says, but the dogs pick up the crumbs, Lord, that fall from the table. And he says, great is your faith. What, what, is, what is on display here? Great humility. Not for dogs. I mean, that's enough to leave the church, isn't it? You don't often hear the elders say to you, oh, we don't want dogs here, thank you. <laughs> you know, you leave the church for that. She, she says, but the dogs do pick up the crumbs. Wow, what faith. Humility. It's good soil for faith to grow in. So, beloved, let's hold together. Let's have a humble spirit because faith will grow here. Faith grows where there's humility. The second thing I notice about him is this. God says about him in Numbers 14, he has followed me wholeheartedly. Wholehearted. What a testimony. Would you like God to say that over you? He's followed me, she's followed me wholeheartedly. Jesus told the parable of the seed and the sowers, and he said sometimes the word falls on hard ground. It's just got crusted. It's just not soft, tender and so the birds of the air just come and take it. Easily lost. Stolen away. And nothing grows there. And then he says that some soil is shallow. And so there might be an immediate response. Yeah! But then he says when the sun shines, there's immediate failure. Why? Well, the soil wasn't very deep. It was kind of surface response. Kind of, yeah, we're up for this. Uh, will you be there the next week? Well, maybe. Uh, there's, there's not wholeheartedness. When we go on a new adventure, when we say, right, you know, a certain number of us, we're going to, we, there needs to be wholeheartedness. And when we come here, hey, where's everybody gone? We're a bit thin here again. Oh, I don't know, maybe I'll go somewhere else. It's a bit thick. No, 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 that's time for wholeheartedness. Faith grows. This guy's followed me with a whole heart. That's what we're looking for now as we take this next adventure with maybe some of the insecurities it brings. Oh, where's that children's worker? Oh, he's in the other group. Oh, isn't he going to be there anymore then? What about the musician? Where's the bass player? Where's the oh, he's, he's gone with the... Oh, oh. Well, I was excited, but the sun's shining and burning a bit now. And the word immediately appears both. They receive the word immediately. Then there's pressure, then they immediately drop it wholeheartedness, that's not wholeheartedness. He's followed me wholeheartedly. Then some, it says, its seed fell among weeds and thorns and it chokes. Chokes. Other things begin to clutter. 
And when we take a step of courage, a step of faith, that's going to stretch us a bit, we need to be pretty focused. Not easily distracted. Well, I won't be here this week. I won't be here next week. Like, oh, no, we do need you to be here. Because we're going to feel the pressures. We're going to feel, come on, let's be in this together. Are we in this together? Yeah. See, that's going to have to have its outworking week in, week out. That's how we're going to make a tremendous impact in this important city for the glory of God. Okay, so wholeheartedness. James says, a double-minded man receives nothing from the Lord. Double-minded. You don't get that. It needs to be wholeheartedness. Let's have that attitude, okay? Next thing I notice is this. He genuinely believed in God's purpose. See, they realized, um, Caleb realized, it's not my private war. It's not my reputation. It's not my career. It's the plan of God that we take this land. It's not, it's not something we're trying to get, you know, make a name for ourselves. We're in a church that's growing. That's nothing to do with it. The thing that made this man's faith grow was he was in touch with God's great plan. Faith grows when we're in touch with the God who says, I'm going to fill the earth with my glory. Not, I'm going to fill the earth with your name. And so, getting hold of God's big plan really strengthens your faith. It makes you realize it's not just our little deal we're trying to get God interested in. It's his great deal he's getting us interested in. He's saying, I'm going to do this. Come with me. And, And Caleb had hold of that. They said, we can't do it. We are not able. He said, there'll be breakfast for us. Or worse to that effect. We'll take it. There, they shall be our prey. Their protection is removed from them. Now, it takes faith to see that. Earlier on, it says, we saw ourselves as grasshoppers in our own eyes. So were we in their eyes. That's what it says. Now, the first Sentence is true. We saw ourselves as grasshoppers. The second sentence is not true. That's what they saw. doesn't say that. Later, when they go into the land, do you remember? They go into the land. The first person they meet is Rahab. This is 40 years later when they've been thinking, we can't get in, we can't get in. They're giants. They're terrible giants. We can't make it. It's much too difficult. Then they get back, they go in, and they meet Rahab, and she says, oh, you're with those Jewish people. We have been trembling ever since you crossed the Red Sea. That's 40 years of trembling. (laughs) And they said, we became grasshoppers. So were we in their sight. They were not in their sight. In their sight, they thought, here comes these people who crossed the Red Sea. These people that wiped out Pharaoh's army. We better watch out. And so their, their unbelief, dear friends, robbed them of reality. See, faith gets hold of reality. Faith isn't whispering, oh, I wonder, I wonder, can I fight? No, it's lining up with truth. And the truth is, I've given you the land. God said it. And God says in this passage, how long will these people despise me? That's an incredible phrase. That's God's attitude. God's looking on at this. He says, how long will these people despise me? I'm sure they could have said, Lord, we don't despise you. It's just that there are giants in the land. 
You know, it's nothing about you. It's the giants and the walled cities. I mean, it's all so difficult. God says, you are despising me. Why did he say that? Because I told you, go and take it. So I take it as a personal affront that you say you can't. I, I find that so helpful, dear friends, to apply that to all kinds of areas in my own personal life. Things that God says I can do as a Christian, a life I can live, a life of holiness, a life of being a good husband, father, whatever it is. And God's saying, come on, you can do this. And I say, well, I don't know if I can. God says, how long are you going to despise me? It's like saying, Lord, I'm not despising you. I mean, you're wonderful. It's just this is difficult. No, no, that, God says that as kind of a personal offense. If I've said you can do it, it's like Peter walking on the sea. And, he, and he's seeing the waves, he's gone. And what does Jesus say? Jesus does not say to him, hey, Peter, proud of you. You're the only one who got out of the boat. Well done. And anyway, it's hard. Where do you put your foot down? It's tough, isn't it? Well done, Peter. He doesn't say that. It's scary. What, Peter, what Jesus says to Peter is, you little faith. Jesus having a bad day? <laughs> you little faith. Because he fell through water, walking on water. <laughs> See, Jesus, he said to, Peter said this, if it's you, tell me to come to you. He knew enough to do that. And Jesus said, come. Which, beloved, meant he could. It meant he could. And I think we all know this. If he'd stopped looking at the waves and kept looking at Jesus, he would have walked all the way. He walked out to where his hand was. He just, he just could grab him. He had started walking this supernatural life. And then he started looking at the circumstances. I don't know if I can do this. And Jesus is like you, little faith. And Jesus never was grumpy. <laughs> he only spoke the truth. And so that, that was the truth. The truth is, Peter, that needn't have happened. Now, beloved, he still saved him. Hallelujah. He says, we may deny him. He can't deny himself. We may be unbelieving. No, he won't deny himself. He still saves Peter. It's his responsibility. He's going to keep saving us. But he wants us to believe him. As we make these new steps, to do it with faith. As we live the Christian life, to do it with faith. We don't want to hear God saying, how long are you going to spurn me? How long will you despise me? I think, Lord, I don't despise you. Now come on then, live in the light of what I promised to be to you. Then the next phrase I just pick up here, it says, he got it into his heart. Joshua 14, verse 7, I brought word back to him as it was in my heart. The New, New Intimate National Version, NIV, says, according to my convictions. That's a fascinating phrase. When we're talking about what makes real faith, why was Caleb different to ten guys who said it's impossible? Why did he say, no, we can do this? What makes a person a faith? Well, here's one of the other ingredients. We're trying to find the ingredients that builds faith. And here's one of them. He got it into his heart. He said, I brought word back to Moses as it was in my heart. 
See, faith is the conviction of things not yet seen. You get it in our heart, it's conviction. You become persuaded. It's in our hearts. Abraham fully persuaded what God had promised he's well able to do. Get it into his heart. I love what it says about Nehemiah, Nehemiah 2.12. He walked around the city, hadn't told anybody yet, and it says this wonderful phrase, I didn't tell anyone what God had put in my heart for Jerusalem. There's a man of faith. Nehemiah said, let me go, I'll rebuild the city. That's crazy. He didn't say, let's take a poll and say, does anybody want the city rebuilt? You know, what's the poll? What do people think? Is there a committee that should be formed? He said, let me go and do it. Beloved, at the center of any work of God, there are kind of crazy men and women like that who say, I'm going to do it. You look at church history. We've just celebrated uh, a few weeks ago, I don't know if you know about Hudson Taylor, I'm sure you do. Hudson Taylor, a missionary to China, one of my great, great heroes. When he was 33, when he went, he was about 23, went into China first time, and he noticed all the missionaries were down the coast, no one had gone inland. And he was troubled, he thought, a whole nation, millions, millions. But the, the mission he was involved with, he didn't like the way they were trying to raise money, and it's all not doing well, and he thought, no, God will provide. And he walked up and down on Brighton Beach. I know this because I lived in Brighton. And 150 years ago, about three weeks ago, 150 years back, at the age of 33, walking up and down that beach, he was in a meeting. So he was in a meeting with a, a thousand people worshipping. I've often wondered where that was in Brighton. He said, I can't stand any longer hearing these thousands of people worshipping when there's millions dying in China. God was working in him. And he went down to Brighton Beach and he walked to and fro. And he said, God, I'm going to go. And he battled he, until he got it in his heart. See, that's a process. He got it into his heart. Faith comes, the Bible says. Faith comes by hearing, hearing God, let God speak into your heart. Faith can come to us. And he was walking and he said, I'm going to do it. And he made his response, I'm going to do it. And he then went and opened a bank account Next day, I think he put five pounds in. Called it China Inland Mission. And after that, hundreds of missionaries, in the end, thousands of missionaries, poured into China on the strength God will provide. I mean, it's wonderful. Amazing thing. And my son Joel, on that date, on that very date, took a group of the young guys from the church and, and had a prayer meeting on the beach uh, two or three weeks ago, on that day, remembering the day, this 33-year-old. And they got... They got, I think his name is Jamie Hudson Taylor, who's fourth generation from the original Hudson Taylor, came and spoke at the church about his great, 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 great grandfather. And uh, Joel called his son Hudson. You know, that, there's a thing that kind of sticks in your heart. And you think, yeah, faith. This man got it into his heart. And as we go, we, we want to get things in our heart. God's called us. John and Linda courageously came here years ago. It all looked so frail, so frail. And they had the courage and the commitment to start laying the foundation and build what's happening now. Now we're in another phase of faith. And we can say, no, it's, got it. it's in our hearts. God's going to do this thing. Amen? Yeah. God's going to do this thing. It's in our hearts. 
Then he says this. A couple more, we're finished. He said, if the Lord delights in us, he'll bring us in. Numbers 14.8. He knew about how God delights in his people. There's so many believers who haven't yet understood about the grace of God and they don't know God delights in us. We just think, well, you've got to serve him, do what you can, try and keep him happy. It's hard to keep happy. We can be a bit like the one talent man. You've got to report to God, well, you gave me one talent, I hid it in the ground. I know you're a hard man. You try and reap where you've not sown. And we don't know God well enough to know he's not a hard man. He's not demanding of us more than we can do. Actually, he delights in us. He delights in us. My morning reading this morning, I've just started going through Ephesians again. And it talk, and he talks about that, his, his kind intention of his will. God's got kind intentions towards us. And the more you know God delights in you, the easier it is to have faith. See, faith works through love. That consciousness, no father loves me. He's for me. When my son went to university, I, I said to him, son, I'll send you a check every month so he could get by. And uh, I didn't feel I wanted to do it all. I, wanted, I said, I'll just send you a check every month. And the idiot went just with my saying that. <laughs> he said to me recently, he said, I never ever doubted that that would come through every month. I didn't go thinking, how am I going to get by? He said, you said you'd send it every month. I wanted to write a letter every month. I wanted to be in touch every month. He said, I'm it. <laughs> it never even occurred to me. Because <laughs> I know you love me. I know you're not going to go off. God, it's when we know of the love of God, faith is much simpler. When he know, God, Caleb says, if the Lord delights in us, hey, come on. He's the Lord of the heavens and the earth. And he's for us. He delights in us. This I know, God is for me. Too many Christians think, this I know, there's a God, I'm not sure if it's for me or not. So it's so important for us to be strong in the grace of God, to be assured we're beloved, accepted, treasured, delighted in you're his special treasure. You, know, you need to meditate about that every day. Just sing his praise, say, Lord, thank you, I'm your special treasure. He delights in us. Faith grows in that world. He brought, put... It says in Psalm 18, 19, he brought me into a broad place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. He delighted in me. I often think of that baptism of Jesus. And as he was being baptized, it says the voice came from heaven. This is my beloved son. We know it, we read, in whom I'm, I'm pleased. It really means in whom I'm delighted. <laughs> this is my beloved son in whom is all my delight. And it says he gave him the Spirit without measure. Imagine getting the Holy Spirit without measure, hearing God say, I absolutely delight in you. I think you could go for 40 days and nights on the strength of that. He went out into the wilderness, knowing God, my Father delights in me. My Father delights in me. He did all his ministry out of this consciousness. My Father delights in me. If the Lord delights in us, we can do it. Amen? Amen? If God's for us, we can do this. We can see this church keep growing. 
people saved, baptized, added, made in disciples, transformed, turned away from idols to serve the living God, wait for his son from heaven, transformed attitude to life, learn how to raise good families for the glory of God, do a good day's work, respecting authority, living in holy godliness, a people. That's what God wants. And he wants it multiplied across the city. If the Lord delights in us, he'll do it. If you question his love, faith begins to wilt. And we know he delights in us. And so we get this wonderful last phrase. Now then, he says, give me this hill country. And then he gets this wonderful thing. He says, the Lord helping me, I shall drive them out. Who's doing this? The Lord or you? Well, it's a bit of an enigma, isn't it? If we don't go, it's not going to happen. If we, don't, if we go without God, it's not going to happen. So, yeah, we go. But the Lord's going to go with us. The Lord's going to give us success. The Lord's going to make happen what he promised. He will give us our inheritance. Through our God, we shall do valiantly. Hallelujah. It is he who will tread down our enemies. So, beloved, as I wind up, try not to be too long-winded, God's for us. God's given us great promises. Caleb and, Joseph, uh, and Joshua, they stood out, to be honest, against the crowd. But they had these characteristics we've looked at. They had that humble heart. They weren't quick to express opinions. They weren't quick to say, no, I don't know what they're saying. I don't really agree. No, no. We need to repent of that. Say, no, I... I, I I, they've prayed about it. I, I haven't given as much thought to it as they have. I haven't lived in the... No, I'll respect. I'll, I'll walk in love and respect. I'll be careful with my mouth. Then let's be wholehearted. Let's be persuaded God's for us. Let's be persuaded it's bigger than us. It's for his glory. Let's believe that what we're seeing happen in all sorts of places, churches, church, we used to be just one church in this country. Now a church is opening up all over the place. used to be the same in India. One church in Mumbai. Now dozens of churches. One church in Cape Town. Only church in South Africa. Now dozens of churches across. One church here, one church now. Many, many, growing, growing. Keeps on happening. Keeps on happening. God wants to bless. He wa he's full of compassion and mercy. There's a big battle on for the US at the moment. You know about it. I know about it. The world knows about it. There's a big battle going on for the USA, for the hearts of men. Are they going to trust the living God or have they abandoned that now? Is that old hat? Is that finished? Is that all over there? And we're just a secular society now. What's the answer to that? The answer is the living church of the living God. Breaking out in genuine authenticity, love, mercy, righteousness, Arise, shine. Put on your beautiful garments. Let's go again. Amen? Let's go again. Let's believe God.